Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. You welcome to Southwood Church. We're excited to see each and every one of you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated in this place. What a great time of worship. I'm so grateful for our worship team. Oh, thank you, sir. If this is your first time at Southridge, my name is Makai. I'm the pastor here at Southridge Church. We are honored and thrilled to see each and every one of you. On your way in, you should have received a little packet. It's got a connect card. It's got an offer and envelope, and it's got a place for you to take notes. At any point in the service, we would love for you to fill out that connect card. And at the end of the service, when we worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings, we'd love for you to take that card and drop it in to our offering basket. Or you could take it to the hotel lobby where we have our leaders out there. They would love to give you a gift for being here. Or maybe you say, I need some prayer. Or you want to join a ministry team, a life group. Or maybe next Sunday you say, hey, I want to get baptized. I need to take that next step. And that card is a way you can indicate, say, hey, I, I got to take that next step. I want to get baptized. Because next Sunday is we're doing a barbecue and baptism Sunday. And we'd love for you to be here and be a part of it. So don't miss out next Sunday after each service. We have several people that are going to get baptized. And baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward change. So I'm so grateful you're here. Uh, We're looking forward to a great time together. We're going to kick off a new series. So let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer as we dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for how good you are. God, you do it again and again and again. Your word says your mercies are new every morning. God, you are doing new things in our heart. God, you are quickening our spirits. You're raising us up. And so, Father, we just pray right now in this place, would your Holy Spirit be able to take this word that we're about to open and study together, and may it do a work in our hearts and lives. May it begin to uh, be, a, be one that helps us, God. We love you. We pray your blessing and service. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take your Bible if you have a copy of God's Word to Psalms chapter number 56. Psalms chapter number 56. And I'm so grateful and thankful that you are here. We're going to kick off a new series, and it's a unique title, and it's simply called For San Jose. For San Jose. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm looking forward to kicking off this series together. Have you ever stopped to think about what is the church for? More specifically, what is Southridge Church for? I think if you were to ask people that do not go to church or maybe family and friends that may not even be Christians, they may have an idea of what the church is against, but it's very rare when they know what the church is for. I think more often than not, people know what uh, we might be against more than they know what we are for. And so we want to be part of redirecting that and saying, no, here is what not just the church is for, but more specifically, here's what Southridge Church is for. I would rather be the person letting people know what we're about than people trying to figure out what we're about. I'd rather just show them. I'd rather tell them. I'm so thankful for the volunteers. We've got 45 to 50 volunteers on Tuesday night that met at uh, 
a park, Baskin Ridge Park, for National Night Out. And we served about 150 of our neighbors right here in the community. Thank you for serving. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus. Can we just thank those volunteers real quick? They did an amazing job. We had somebody that went to 11 different National Night Out, and they came back to ours and said, this is the best one. And that's incredible. And I'm so grateful for our volunteers. We want people to know that our church is going to be in the neighborhood permanently. We want to let our neighbors know we love them. But also, we want to let them know what we are for. Because too often than not, sadly, people know what we might be against, and we need to let them know what we are for. Now, when people hear that, what the church is for, that we're for the city, there's two groups of people. There are certain people that then assume that if we're for something, that means we don't have any standards, because we're just trying to make so everybody likes us. So no standards. And then there's a different group of people. They are what the background I'm from. They're more legalistic. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We got a long list of what we're against. And we will let you know that we definitely have standards. And so it's like there's these two groups. One that say, oh, I want to go to a church that has no standards. Another church that's like, well, no, no, we want to go to a church with all kinds of standards. But yet I do believe we should be a church of standards. Standards add value. That's what a standard does. You ever heard the term, the phrase, that's the gold standard? You ever heard that? You see, our economy, our currency used to be based on the gold standard. There's talk today of countries bringing back the gold standard. It means that that's the highest you can get, that gold standard. Here at Southridge Church, we set a standard. Before you came, there was volunteers that straightened every single chair. They sanitized all the children's ministry. There were volunteers that had a blower in the parking lot blowing the dust off to the side. We have a standard here. Our worship team, even though much of our equipment was stolen over the last couple weeks, we still have a standard for worship. They meet, they practice. We have a standard. You appreciate when a place has a standard, and you can tell when there are no standards. I think too often we don't have enough standards. You say, what do you mean? I meet people that... When it comes to their dating, their love life, they need to raise the standard, have a higher standard. Say, hey, I I, I don't just date anybody. I don't just marry anybody. I want to have a standard. I got a standard. As Christians, we have a standard. We love people. We have a standard that we serve. We have a standard that we share the gospel. We have a standard that we are ones that are all about sacrifice and generosity. That's the standard that we're going to set. But too many times when people hear that, oh, we're for something, that means we don't have as many standards. And let me just reassure you, no, we have standards. I like what A.W. Tozer, he said this, we cannot afford to let down our Christian standards just to hold the interest of people that who want to go to hell and still belong to the church. That's pretty good. I mean, it's a little bit tough, but it's kind of true that there are some places that you can go that, yeah, they don't have any standard because they're trying to attract people that want to belong to church but they don't want to do anything that it takes to live a life of godliness. And we want to have a church that we say, hey, yes, we want people to be here. We want to let them know what we're for. But at the same time, we don't want anybody to die in their sins and go to hell. We want everybody to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the most important thing. But we want to let people know what we are for. So over the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about what is our church for. Many of you are new to the church. And sometimes when you're new to the church, you say, hey, what what are we all about? And we want to make sure everything that we are about comes from this book, the Bible, and that this is what we use as our rule of faith and practice, that everything that we do comes out of this book, that this is our guideline, this is our, our, our gold standard that we measure everything by, it comes from the Word of God. I know that too many times we, we still come back to that thing of standards. And when it comes to church, I want to 
just kind of alleviate your mind because you appreciate standards. You ever gone to a restaurant that they didn't have cleanliness standards? And then you were like, uh, I think I know what's in the special sauce. <laughs> it's the grit between their fingernails because nobody washes their hands. Yeah, it's nasty. Uh, you go to a hospital that, that nobody washes their hands, not very sanitary. You're thinking, oh, I, I don't know what kind of care and treatment I'm going to get here. We care about standards. I once went to a fud restaurant in San Diego, and I, um, I have a spiritual gift. Uh, you say, what is that spiritual gift? I can find hair in my food all the time. I don't know why. I can always spot hair in my food. Now, um, Jane kind of likes it when I find hair in my food. It means we're going to get something free. So we don't have to pay for it. But uh, we were at this pho restaurant, and I, I, I used chopsticks, and I grabbed the, the noodles and I'm about to bring it to my mouth. And I noticed that there was something that was also attached with the noodles, uh, a hair. And I was like, oh, my goodness. But it was a long, blonde hair. So any of you blondes been in San Diego? Just kidding. Just kidding. But I, I was looking at it, and I was like, this is gross. This is disgusting. So I put it on the napkin. I wasn't going to eat that bowl of pho because I have a standard. I don't eat food with hair in it, all right? That's just a standard. Maybe you think I'm overboard. Maybe you think I'm too much a drama queen. But I just think that's a good standard to have that you don't eat food that has somebody else's hair that you don't know where it's from. So we call the owner of the restaurant. The owner of the restaurant, he comes over, and he uh, says, well, I'm Vietnamese. I do not have blonde hair. That's not our hair. And he then kind of blamed us that there was hair in the food. And I'm saying, I have blondish hair, but it's not that long. And he wasn't going to do anything about it. So I was like, hey, it's no big deal. I'm just not going to eat this. So just bring me another one and just don't charge me for it. I'm not asking for a discount, but just bring me something. I'm not going to eat this. And we agreed on that. He wasn't going to compass anything, but he was at least going to replace that. And as he turned to walk away, I noticed that he had a ponytail that he had bleached blonde. Oh, immediately I knew, oh, that's where the hair came from. It came from, I don't know if he dips it and that's a special sauce. I don't know. But that was disgusting. We have standards when it comes to our food, but we should have a standard when it comes to the church. And we at Southridge are constantly trying to raise a standard. We want to have excellence and quality in everything that we do, how we minister, how we engage with the community. What I loved about our national night out is we went above and beyond I mean, we had balloons out there. We had canopies out there. We had everything ready for the games, the prizes. Everything was organized. It was set up. It was ready. It was engaging. We want to raise the standard. We want to be that church that raises the standard. And so to do that, we want people to know what we are for. And when they see Southridge, they say, oh, they do things well. They do things. And the Bible even uses the term decently and in order. Whatever you do, Scripture says, do with all our might. All our might. And may that be our testimony, that everything we do, when they see you, they say, oh, good, that person's here. It's going to get, the job's going to get done. It's going to get done well. I'm going to get it done on time. And it's going to be done with excellence because they raise the standard. Standards are good, my friend. And we at Southridge want to raise it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about what is Southridge Church for. But this week, week number one, I want you, if you're taking notes, to write this down, that God is for you. I know on the surface of that, that might sound like a little bit of cotton candy Christianity, but I want to dive into it a little bit by asking you this question. Here's the question. What do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? Let me say it one more time. What do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? We're here at church, so maybe if I were to take the mic and start asking people, I think you might say things like this. Well, I think God loves me. You're at church. You also might say, well, I think I'm the apple of God's eye. We're at church. So you might say that. Some of you may say, you know what? 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're at church, so you might say that. You might say, man, I think God loves me. I think he smiles at me. I think he's proud of me. I think God thinks I'm tops. I'm great. I'm good. Because you're at church. But for the rest of us real people, you probably have felt like I have in time or two. Or during the week, you think, I think God might be a little bit disappointed in me. I think God might be a little bit frustrated by me. I think God might be a little bit upset by me. I think God might be a little bit angry at me. Because I can tell you this, many of your friends and coworkers and family members, that's what they think that God thinks about them. And there's many Christians that they think the same way. They think that God is upset, he's angry, he's bothered, and maybe we, we feel justified in that because of what we did this past week or this past month or this past year. We think, no way God could love me. I mean, you're thinking that I know God said he'll forgive 400, 700, 7 times 70, 490 times, but maybe I went through my 490 times. Maybe God said, that's it, no more, Makai, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. You used up all of the forgiveness I have in high school, so guess what? No, you're in debt now. You owe me. But what does God think about when God thinks about you? The most famous verse in all of Scripture is probably the first verse you ever memorized is John 3, 16. I love the first part of it because it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. So what does God think about when God thinks about you? He thinks about his love for you. Now let's take that verse for just a second, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Now take that word world and replace it with your name. For God so loved Micaiah. Makes it more personal, doesn't it? It makes it more real because we live in a world that we don't know what God thinks about when God thinks about us. And we need to come back to God's word on this and realize that God says, when I think about you, I think of Love, that's what God thinks about you. He sent his own son to die on a cross for you and I because he loves you. Not just love, it says he so loved you. This isn't just any kind of love. This is because he so loved you. Many of you, you've done crazy things because you were in so much love. It motivated you beyond just the normal kind of puppy love. It motivated you to stay up all night and talk to him on the phone. Remember that? Back in the day, You'd be like, hey, it's free minutes after nine o'clock, so who cares? Let's just burn through our minutes. You could tell I'm dating myself just a little bit now. You're like, it's unlimited minutes. Back in the day, man, you got billed. If it was before seven o'clock or maybe before nine o'clock, you got billed for those minutes. You only got 600 minutes a month on your mobile device. And then, man, you would stay up all night and you'd burn through your minutes and you would just, just listen to that person breathe. Some of you, you got tired and you would put your dog just breathing on the phone. You were just like, I'll just let my dog breathe on the phone. I'm going to go to bed now. But understand this, because you are in love, you did crazy things. You drive through the night, you, 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 you just embarrass yourself because you are in so much love. What does God think about when God thinks about you? He thinks about how he loves you. You see, if God was not for you, then hell would not be a place you go to. You would already be living it. Because hell is separation from God. If God was not for you, hell would not be a place. You'd be living it. Because life without God for us is hell. 
but God is for us. God is for you. And that's why Southridge, we can be for San Jose. And what San Jose needs to know is there is a church that says, hey, we are for them. We're going to reach out to them. I understand we gather to scatter. We gather, we, we enjoy fellowship, we enjoy praise, we enjoy the encouragement. But understand, we've got a mission, folks. San Jose is a desperately needy city. Over one million people that need to know Jesus Christ. They say that churches are closing and churches are dying in Northern California. And I believe them. We had a guest speaker here last week and he said, oh, that was the first time I've been to a mega church. I said, mega church? What are you talking about? He said, all the churches I speak at have 25 or more. 25, that's it. And he's in charge of an association of churches. And he said, we got nobody. Nobody's going to church anymore. He's like, every week I speak at a different church and they're all about 25. He said, that's the largest crowd I've preached at in years. More and more people are falling away. But understand, we're going to say, no, we are for San Jose. We're going to go reach San Jose. We were at National Night Out, and a politician showed up with a bunch of his swag, and a bunch of the neighborhood didn't like the politician, so they were like, let's burn the swag. We don't like that guy. Because that guy's policies and some of the crime and some of the trash and some of the things that have been going on, I understand it. But I said, what a great opportunity. What a great need. There's so many people leaving California. I'm thankful for the people that are staying. This is a great opportunity. There's the old adage. I don't know if you heard the story. There was a shoe salesman. He went to the island, and he gets there. And he looks around, and he calls up headquarters and says, hey, I need to take it back home. Nobody wears shoes here. And he goes back home. A second salesman shows up, and he looks and sees, and he calls headquarters and says, hey, send me all the shoes you got. Nobody wears shoes here. Think about San Jose. Nobody goes to church. Nobody knows Jesus. What a great opportunity to get the gospel out. Everybody is open. Everybody's a candidate for the love of Jesus Christ. And we have that message. We get to go to him. But you and I first have to know that God is for us. I sometimes struggle in my marriage. And when I do, it affects everything in my life. Everything. I think I yell at the barista. I, I cut people off in traffic. I snap at the kids. I don't quite kick the dogs. I like my dogs sometimes more than my kids. But I mean, I'm, I get close. I get real close. Because why? I'm upset. The marriage isn't going well. Man, I get irritable. I'm grouchy. I'm mean. I need more caffeine. But when the marriage is good, oh, man, it's all hugs and kisses. I'm buying people Starbucks behind me. I'm happy. Everything around me is good. Why? Because the marriage is good. And when the marriage is good, everything else seems good. And I'm in a better mood. It's the same when your relationship with God, when you know it's good, everybody else reaps the benefits. But how few Christians know that God is for them. You live in a world where you don't know what God thinks about when God thinks about you. And this morning, I want to clear it up. I want you to know in your heart that God is for you. And not a cotton candy Christianity type of way. I want you to know that God is for you. If your Bibles are with you or if you have them on your mobile device, go to Psalms 56. I want to read this chapter because I think it's powerful. And Psalms 56 is the psalm just after David had left the city of Gath because David was escaping Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. So he leaves his men behind, goes to Gath to join himself to the king in that town, that city. And that city was owned by the Philistines. They were the enemy of Israel. And David had killed Goliath, one of their champions. Why would David go there? But David goes to Gath to escape Saul's wrath. And at Gath, David almost loses his life. 
He has to pretend to be a lunatic. He starts drooling on himself. He starts acting crazy. And they thought, man, this person's lost his mind. Let's let this person go. This is not David, the mighty warrior we thought he is. So this is that psalm that David writes. Verse number one says this, be merciful to me. I could stop right there. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. So David is saying, I've done something wrong. But the wages of sin is death, right? What I reap, I will sow, right? And David is saying, God, I've sowed something. I don't want to reap it. So be merciful, God. Be merciful. I've made a wrong decision. I've done the wrong thing. God, I don't know what you think about when you think about me. But God, be merciful. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. When they lie in wait for my life, shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. And I would underline this and I would highlight this and I'd mark it down. This I know because God is for me. David said, there's not a lot that I do know. But this thing I do, I know that God is for me. This morning, can I ask you a question? Do you know that God is for you? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God has set his affection upon you? Do you know that as you move forward in life with its difficulties, that God is for you? Because if you don't, that is the work of the devil. Because Satan wants you to think that God has turned against you. But understand, David said, I know something. I know that God is for me. And David is messed up. David's done the wrong thing. And even when he messed up, even when he failed, he still came back to this conclusion. I know God is still for me. So no one's had a perfect week. Nobody went through this week sinless. All of us have messed up in one way or another. And yet we can gather and say with confidence like David that I know God is for me. I love verse 10. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. This morning, I want to give proofs that you might have the confidence to know that God is for you. You see, there's a word that David used. The word know is the Hebrew word yada. Have you ever said this? Maybe when you were a kid, all right? You probably did this when you were a kid. Somebody's trying to tell you something and you say, I know, yada, 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 yada. You ever said that? Anybody in the room, you ever said that? A few of you. It's, It's an older thing. Do you know you're actually speaking Hebrew? You are speaking Hebrew. That's a real Hebrew word. That's where we get it. Yada, 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 yada. What does it mean? It means I have discovered by effort. You've discovered something. When somebody's trying to tell you something, you're like, yada, 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 yada. I already know that. You're speaking Hebrew. I already know. I've already discovered that. 
What David is saying, I have discovered something through effort that God is for me. Many of us don't understand that God allows us to go through difficulties so that we see that God was with us throughout the trial, that God walked through the storm with us, that God was there. And we come out of the other side and we could say, yada, that God was with me. I've discovered a new aspect of God, that he was for me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How did David know that? He had discovered it, yada. I want you to yada something. I want you to discover that God is for you this morning. See, the one thing you need to know is that God is for you. I'm going to give you a little phrase. I know it's corny. I know it's cheesy, but I want to stay with you this week. When you are feeling low, there's one thing you need to know, that God is for you. Let me say it again. When you are feeling low, there's one thing you need to know, that God is for you. Life doesn't have to go perfect, like doesn't have to go right. But as long as God is for you, then things will turn out right. But maybe you are saying, where's the proof? I want to show it to you. First of all, I'm going to give you all three points before we close right now. And then you can put away your notes if you want to and just listen. But I'm going to give it to you. Here's the three points. First of all, first point number one, God is for you. How do you know God's for you? First of all, because of what God has done. Because what, have, what God has done in your past, what God has done. Secondly, because of what God is doing. First is, how do I know that God is for me? Because of what he has done. Secondly, because of what he is doing. And thirdly, because of what he will do. You see, our God operates not just in our past, not just in our present, but also in our future. And let's dive in and we'll see it together. First of all, because of what God has done. Be merciful to me, O God. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Notice he said, I will trust in you. He learned that God is trustworthy. Some in his past, he had learned, God, I can trust you. Remember when David went to Saul and said, I can fight Goliath? What did he say? Hey, I came up against a bear and I came up against a lion and I defeated those. God gave me strength. So he's able to reach into his past and pull it into his present and say, hey, God was good back there. He'll be good right here. And you and I, we could see that God has been good in our past. But the greatest thing that God has ever done for you and I to prove that he is for us is when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. The apostle Paul said this. He was trying to explain how much God is for you. He said this in Romans 8. He said, if God didn't withhold his own son, what else, can, what else is there he can give you? He gave you his son. There's nothing greater God can give you. If he didn't withhold his son from dying for you, what else is there? The apostle Paul is driving a, a huge point home. He's letting us know that Jesus is the pearl of great price. He is that treasure. He is that one that is worth more than the world can possibly imagine. That's why he even reminds us, says, hey, what does it it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? See, Jesus gave his life for your soul. Jesus loves you. He's for you. He did that in your past. Before you were even uh, uh, an idea, before you had consciousness, God had already provided a way for your salvation. God has loved you. God has been for you. Before you even had consciousness, God was for you. Before you even knew about God, God was already working in your past. But here's the greatest thing that I love from this. You see, the proof that God and what he has done, you know, God sometimes saves me from me. Say, what do you mean? God saves me from me. 
most, if not 99.9% of my mistakes and my failures are my fault. They're mine. I got to own it. But God saves me from me. We live in a culture that loves to play the blame game. We love to make an excuse. We love to be the victim. But here, David is saying, be merciful. I did it. God, give me new mercy, God. I have failed. God, be good. Continue that goodness. And God says, I will. God saves us from us. We seem prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's an old hymn writer wrote that song. And yet we need to come back and see that God is still good. God is still for us. Even when we do things against our own self-interest. You go to Genesis chapter number three, you could see that Satan's always been about this game of trying to get you and I to believe that God is against us and not for us. And he starts it with Eve. Eve is with Adam. They're in a garden. It's paradise. It's perfect. There's no death. There's no taxes. And there's paradise. It's great. And you would think, what can mess up paradise? I mean, they got it made, right? I mean, they're in a garden. It's beautiful. It's a perfect temperature. Um, It's just awesome. God's there. And then this serpent comes along. And the serpent comes to Eve. And then the serpent begins to speak to Eve and begins to ask Eve a question. And the Bible says this. Here's the question. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. But does the woman stop there? Or the serpent start there? No. It goes on, verse number five. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. What was Satan doing? Satan was trying to get Eve to think that God is holding back on them, implying that, guess what? There's something God doesn't want you to have, so God's really not for you. I mean, if he doesn't want you to have it, then is he really for you? And this is sometimes what our kids feel like, don't they? We won't let them have the keys to the car. We won't let them have the new cell phone. We won't let them be on social media or we won't let them go to a party. Uh, We won't give them certain foods. And they think, man, you're not for me. And that's not it at all. Your denial is the greatest way that you are saying, hey, I am really for you. I'm trying to spare you a whole lot of heartache. I'm trying to spare you a whole lot of trouble. I think sometimes we get mixed up, parents, as we think, well, I just need to give my kids everything they want, and then they're just going to have a happy, great life. No, that's the fastest way to probably destroy our kids. And instead, there's some blessing in our saying no. We're protecting them from something. But here, Satan is trying to twist that, no, Eve, God's not really for you. He's got something he's holding back, doesn't want you to have. So Eve, immediately, she looks and notice the Bible says this, that she saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a desirable tree to make one wise. You see, I think why we reach for things says something just as much as what we're reaching for. The why we reach for things says so much just like what we're reaching for. You see, it wasn't just that she was reaching for the fruit. It was why she was reaching for it. Why we do things. What's the motive behind it? She said, 
I don't think I'm perfect. I want some wisdom. I want something that God didn't give me. But God said, no, no, you have everything you need in this garden. You see, God is for you. You have everything you need. And God's plans are better than your dreams. But we've got to come back where we trust God and say, God, you provided everything I need in this garden. God, you were good in my past. And you're going to show up here. But so often we are reaching for things that God says, no, you don't need to have that. But then we never ask ourselves the question, why am I reaching for that? Well, do I feel like God's against me, that he's not giving it to me? What's the motive behind why am I reaching for these things? Have you ever asked yourself, why am I reaching for that promotion? It's going to take me to a new city, new town, away from Christian school, away from good church. For what? For some money? Money can't buy the family. Money can't buy the time with the kids. Why am I reaching for it? We live in a culture where we just reach for things and we never ask, why am I reaching for it? We just start reaching. That's called lust. I just got to have it. I got to have more of it. We live in this consume, consume, consume mentality and we've stopped asking the question, wait a minute, hasn't God provided everything we need for life and godliness? If God is for me, isn't he going to provide it all? Or do I got to keep reaching? And we stop, and we got to ask, especially in this valley. People will tell me, oh, I got this great opportunity. Oh, it's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, how many hours are they going to ask you? Are you ever going to be at home with your family? You spend more time with your work wife than your real wife. And we wonder why divorce is on the rise. There are children that have absent parent, parent homes only because the parents work so much not because the parents weren't in the picture. Oftentimes we say, oh, all the world's problems is because, man, we've got a fatherless crisis. No, we've got a presence crisis. We're not home. Because we're reaching for things. i got to move. You see, God is doing so much. He's for you because of what he has done. How about this? Because of what he is doing. He said, this I know because God is for me. Verse number nine, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. What's he saying? Hey, God, right now, you're going to be working in my present. If I reach out to God, the enemies will retreat. When I reach out, something begins to happen. He's saying, God will work in my present, not just my past. God will work right here, right now. And that's a sign that God's for you. God's not waiting. God says, I'll work right now. You see, if God wasn't for you, he'd be through with you. But God's not. He's still working. That's why with God, no failure is final. And lastly, because of what God will do. You say, what's that? David, did you see it over and over in the passage? We don't have enough time, but he said, I will praise his word. Over and over, it's, a, it's this action. He's saying, hey, I know God is for me, so I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him because he's going to show up in my future. And you and I have to speak and proclaim that, God, you are going to show up because that's God's character. And his character is reliable. His character is consistent. That's why we can trust. That's why we can sing praises about God. That's why we come in here and we can sing, God, do it again. Why? Because God's character is a consistent character where he will work again. If he saved the sinners, he could save sinners here. If he restored marriages back there, he can restore marriages here. If he can heal back there, he can heal here. If God did it there, he could do it here. 
That's his nature. And we have to continue to praise God for what he will do. That is our faith worshiping. You know, you and I have it so easy. Salvation is so easy for us. It's almost too easy. We look back at the finished work of the cross and we can see evidence that Jesus died on a cross. There is more historical evidence that Jesus died on a cross than that George Washington actually was the president of the United States. Do you understand that? There's more evidence. It's overwhelming the evidence that Jesus was a real person, that he died on a cross. It's incredible. And we get to look back at all that proof. Do you know many of the heroes of the faith, their faith and their salvation rested and they looked forward to something? They had to believe that Jesus was going to come and die on the cross? That's why when we, they would sacrifice a lamb, that's why Jesus says, I am the lamb of God. They had a, their faith look forward. I think it's easier to look backward and have faith than it is to look forward and have faith. It's hard. We have it so easy. We get to look back and say, God, you're going to be good. But right now we're challenged to say, hey, let's declare that God's going to be good in our future. That God's going to do great things. Too often, our prayer life is lacking because we don't believe that God will show up in our future. But I want you to get this about prayer. Prayer is just as much about receiving as it is asking. It's just as much about receiving as it is asking. But many Christians have not because they ask not. And it's because we don't know if God's really for us. So I bring it back to our first question. What do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? And may we this morning get that thing settled. We say, God's for me. Not because of what I've done. This is not a works-based Christianity. It's faith that in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the blood atonement, what Jesus did on the cross, that that covers it, that that sacrifice is what makes me worthy. It's his righteousness, not mine. It's not about works. We need to get away from that. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So now as we look forward, we say, God, you're going to be good, not because I'm good, but because that's your character. And God, you're going to show up in my future because I know you are for me. So what does God think about when God thinks about you? He thinks thoughts that I'm for you. I'm for you. So that means if God withholds something, you know it's for my good. So if God gives me something, you know it's for my good. So now I can go through life. I don't have to be negative. I don't have to be down the dumps. I don't have to be discouraged all the time. I can walk around and be encouraged because I know my God is for me. And if he's for me, I've got everything that I need in this life. Let me end with one more scripture. Second Peter chapter number one, verse number three. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. God's going to provide everything you need to live a godly life because he's for it, for us. And if God is for us, we can be for San Jose. Let me actually end it on this last scripture. The apostle Paul asked a rhetorical question in Romans 8. He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? I think that one person against you more than any is not the devil. I think you are the biggest obstacle to you. And it starts here. What do you think about when God thinks about you?
and you need to know that God is for me. Amen? Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can come into this place and we can reorient our hearts and our minds and get them centered around the truth of your word. There's a great truth that's all throughout scripture and that it's your for your children. And God, this helps us. This helps us to realize it's not about our works. It's not about what we have done. It's about what your son Jesus has done. And that's why we worship your son. That's why we praise him. And that's why we sing songs about him. That's why we gather around the word and we're so grateful for him. Because we're accepted in the beloved because of your son. We had the adoption as joint heirs with Christ because of what Jesus did. Because of your son's sacrifice, you are now for us. You are no longer against us. Your wrath was poured out on your son. There's no more wrath to be poured out on us. And so we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. This changes the way I look at Jesus. I look at him with gratitude, with awe, with a sense of unworthiness to the greatness of his sacrifice. And so, Father, right now, as we humble our hearts and we bow our heads, we say, God, we want to know that you are for us because our hearts betray us, our minds betray us, and at times we let thoughts slip in that God has abandoned us, that God has forsaken us, that God is no longer with us. But your word over and over and over again reminds us that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But yet at times we feel like you have turned against us. And God, help us right now to rebuke that mindset, to rebuke that enemy as he tries to whisper that God is no longer for us. And God, we know that you are for us. And we as a church, we as your body, we are going to be for San Jose. And we are going to preach the glorious gospel, the life-transforming gospel of Jesus. That good news that your son provides the way of salvation. That the door of hope is open to all. And we will boldly proclaim that truth. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for you. Maybe this morning you say, I battle against the thoughts. I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if God's really for me. I don't know if he really cares about me. I feel like I've, I've done things to offend him. And I, and I feel like I've done things to alienate myself from him. Pastor, pray for me this morning. And is that you with every head bowed and every eye closed? I want to give you a moment of privacy. And you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'd be honored to pray for you. Is that you? Do you need prayer in this place? Oh, I see your hand. Thank you. Oh, I see those hands. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, I think all of us can at one point or another say, God, I need that. I need to be reminded that you are for me. Let me pray for you. And then let's sing together a song of worship and praise. Heavenly Father, you see these people. Satan is so clever. He's so good at deceiving us. He's so good at getting us to believe and getting us to think that, God, you've turned your face against us, that you've turned your back on your children. But, God, nothing could be farther from the truth. You are as close to us as we want to be as close to you. You've never forsaken us. You've never abandoned us. God, you've always been good. You've always been consistent. 
And we now live in a world where more people think that God is mad and angry and upset at them than that they realize that he actually loves them with an everlasting love. And God, it's up to us to show San Jose that you love him. But how can we do that if we are struggling with the thoughts that we don't even know what you feel about us? So God, write our thinking in this place. You saw the multitude of hands. You saw those people. And God, I felt the same way this week. And God, we need to come back to this point where we say, no, no, God, you're for me. You're for me. And it's not based on anything that I've done. And so Father, I, I come to you. And these people, we come to you and we say, God, we need you. Draw near. Your word says you are near to those who are of a broken and contrite heart. So we humble ourselves in your sight. And we lift our hands and surrender to you in a posture of humility and say, God, we receive from you. We receive from you favor. We receive from you the forgiveness. We receive from you the fellowship and that future that only you provide. So Father, we cry out for you. And we pray that you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Worship team. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.